0: Hi, I'm Scott Martin from Bonzo Matsu, and this is another episode of the Bonzo Stuff podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. This uh, this episode should be an interesting one. It's been an uh, extremely busy time lately for me, being based in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, Australia. It's um, our Japanese black pine decandling time, so that's um, that's uh, that's big for me. I've got a lot of lot of black pines that I have to work my way through, and uh, I thought it would be worthwhile at this point in time. To keep it uh, keep it current with the podcast, and maybe just discuss a few few issues or a few facts that um, that occur with decandling and why we should do it, and when we shouldn't, and all that sort of thing. So that'll be part of this podcast. Uh, there'll be um, there'll be more talk on the fundamentals of design, continuing through with um, talking about color this time and space. Two um, two really important things that I consider to be uh, absolutely crucial to my enjoyment of bonsai. So we'll we'll talk about that and um, also uh, just to continue the thread uh, for the last couple of podcasts on my time in japan i've uh, i've had a read of <laughs> some more uh, more of my notes i took uh, way back in 2012 so you know just on just over 10 years ago or 10 and a half years ago that um, that uh, i i still find you know really important and interesting now and and rereading my notes with um, with that, uh, that, 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 thirst for knowledge, it's uh, it'll be interesting for you today. So stick around. I hope you enjoy the podcast, which I'm, I'm sure you will. And um, let's uh, let's get into it, eh? Okay. dick handling. Dick handling is a really simple easy process it's uh it's the complete removal of the spring candle partway through the growing season to force a flush a second flush of growth now some of the uh, some of the the uh, incorrect uh, use of this technique on on pines that uh, maybe it well definitely shouldn't be used on is where a lot of uh, a lot of bonsai enthusiasts go wrong so this um this podcast is to not really get into the why we can't 't for thing, but it's more to um to make it uh, maybe a little bit more clear as to why we do it on on Japanese black pines. And when I say Japanese black pines, I mean Japanese red pines and Japanese black pines. So I'll lump them both together, but for for ease of, of communication, I'll just talk about the black pines. So the reason why we can go and remove the spring candle for a Japanese black pine is because there's a a ring of dormant buds at the base where that spring candle has grown. Other pines, like white pines or Scots pines or Mugos or anything like that, they don't have that that ring of dormant buds. So decandling, the complete removal of the spring candle – will result in you completely removing any chance that tree's got at having new needles. And on pines, the needles only last for a certain period of time, you know, be it two, three years, thereabouts. So once the old needles become useless and the tree starts to drop them, if you keep cutting off the new needles, then the tree ultimately will cark it. So you need some new needles to be kept on there on, on pines. And with black pines, we can... We can cut them off because for a strong, healthy tree, you can be pretty much reassured that almost, I hate to say 100% of the time, but very, very close to 100% of the time, you will force those dormant buds to activate. Now, the the big overriding caveat for this is always, always with anything, if anyone's listened to any of my episodes of the podcast or know me or know how I work with my trees, it's, it's always based on the strength of your bonsai. That's it. It's not just an automatic process that we go into. There's obviously a lot more that goes into making your black pines strong enough to to be able to handle decandling. You know, starting from the roots with repotting, how frequently it's done, very strong fertilising in the start of spring to build the tree strength, fertilising in in the previous autumn fall period to make sure that you've built the tree strength to get through dormancy. So all those all those factors go into it. Where you position your tree, how much sun it gets. You know, there's. It's the million different things that we need to do correctly in order to be able to take our bonsai to the next step. And, and decandling is definitely one of those ones that you don't just automatically do because the calendar says, hey, it's uh, decandling time now for Japanese black pines. I'll go out and cut everything off my trees because that's a, that's a great way to ensure that you're either going to weaken your tree significantly or kill it. So, um, yeah, so, so with the black pines, it's, it's really important to understand why we can do it. And w- we can do it because they have this built-in... It's like, a, uh, it's like a safety switch for them. If something goes wrong with the the spring candle growing, then it's got a backup to say, hey, that one's that one's no good. It's been removed. It's been eaten by a bug or a, it's been knocked off. Whatever it is, it's been removed from the tree. It's then got a safety mechanism to say, well, I can push these other ones out. And the timing is super critical too because if you think about why we're decandling, there's a couple of th- three main reasons which, you know, You may or may not know is when you when you decandle you're taking the the branch, instead of being one branch continuing to one branch, so a one-to-one relationship where that branch just keeps getting longer and longer, by removing the spring candle and forcing these dormant buds to grow, we get to get a one to many relationship where these buds will pop out. You know, it could be one, two, three, four, five six, whatever, depending on the, the age and strength of the, the branch and the tree. You can get multiple buds growing. So therefore, we can go from one to many, which means we get our ramification. The clean-out process is another, another thing which happens down the track, but we get to our, our one to two. You know, the branch starts to fork. So we can, can do that with decantling. That's one of the things. The second is that um, we're reducing the growing period for that particular bud, Right so if, if the the bud starts growing in spring and finishes sometime in autumn winter then by decandling somewhere in that period we're restarting the growing period so therefore we're shortening the amount of time that that bud has to grow which therefore means that we end up with shorter needles which is just logical because you're you're shortening the period of time for those those needles to grow. So, second thing we get is is shorter needles. The third thing we get is is shorter internodes. So, the distance between where the bud started and where it finishes becomes your branch length. And because we're shortening that growing period, we therefore get shorter internodes. So, it's it's a really cool way of and, and it's a great technique with black pines that that should be used when you've got a strong enough bonsai to do it Your, your pine is strong enough and i just assume that that's very clear now that don't just do this unless your tree is strong enough so i'm not going to mention it again but it's a great technique that we can use to get all those three things you know Shorter needle length is a really, really common thing that gets talked about with with all pines. Oh, how do I get shorter needles? How do I get this? How do I get that? It's like just relax, you know, because you will get there by using the right techniques. And as the tree ages, the needles will naturally get shorter as the resources have to get spread amongst a lot more, a lot more foliage. So, um, decandling is a, is an awesome technique, but it's um it's really important to understand um, that it's not an automatic function. You know, and that was one of the common mistakes that I made uh, was to just get into decandling because the calendar said so. And you know, um, my my progress on trees a long time ago really suffered. And it's something that I suppose I want to make clear that you shouldn't do that. And if you're in doubt, you know, shooting a photo through to a bonsai professional, they can pretty much tell you straight away, "Hey, yes, that's a tree that gets decandled," or "No, that's not one that gets decandled." And the timing for it too. If you if you think about, and this is this is something I learned the really, really hard way, The decandling, just because I do decandling where I live on whatever date it is, doesn't mean that whoever's listening, you, you guys or girls or you people listening, it shouldn't be an automatic thing because it really depends on you isolating your growing period. And that's what the the most crucial part is. And I was told, as an example, I was always told that, uh, in Melbourne where I live that decandling was always done after Christmas Day. You have a great Christmas Day, you eat a big lunch and then Boxing Day you get up and you go and decandle your trees. So I went, cool, you're uh, your experienced, you know what you're doing, I'll go and do exactly what you tell me to do. And I did it and the uh, needle length was so short that I I'd, I'd hadn't left enough time in the growing period for my trees to to grow needles that were long enough to be able to support the tree. And and I'll come back to needle length in a minute and, and tree size. So then I thought, Okay, well, you know, you wait twelve months to find out the result. It's not like you can do one do your tree now and work out that it didn't work a week later and then fix it. It's it's purely a twelve month period before you get to decandle again. So then I went and did it in November. So I bounced back a couple of months. I thought, well that was that was too late. I'm not I'm not gonna be too late next time. I'm gonna be early. So I went and did it early, and then I just destroyed the tree because I ended up with really long internodes, really long needles, and I didn't achieve anything. I got I got the the additional branches coming out, so that was one thing I achieved, but I didn't achieve the other the other um, purpose, which was the shorter needles and the shorter internodes. So. Third year, I go in and I do it a little bit, you know, maybe partway through, through December and I went, yeah, that's still wrong. So the fourth year, I bounced back and did it, you know, later in November. I went, no, it's still too early. So after five years of trial and error with trees, I sort of worked out what the perfect timing for me was with decandling my trees. And that's what I'm trying to push, I suppose, or trying to force on you is that no matter where you are around the world decandling should be should be an option as long as your, your pine goes through a, a dormancy period and, you know, depending on your growing season. Obviously, there's going to be places where you can't grow black pines or you can't, you know, decandling is not an option for you, maybe tropics, places like that. But all in all, if you can grow black pines well in your area, then decandling is one of the techniques that you can use and finding out the timing for it means speaking to people in your local area. There's no point um, someone... In the other side of the world contacting me about it because I can give you my explanation for it and I can give you my timings, but that's all based on my location, my climate and and my growing period, which is a really important part. You know, if you have a um a really long growing period, then decandling time changes. And that's where I want to come I want to circle back to the the needle length. Because if you think about what we're doing with decandling is is changing the period of time that we're giving the bonsai to grow new needles, then obviously with bigger trees to keep everything in in portion, you what you need to do is you need to decandle a little bit earlier to give a longer growing period to give a longer needle. And therefore, flip the coin, the other side, you've got really, really small black pines, then you obviously want smaller size needles. So therefore, what you do is you decandle a little bit later on because that gives you smaller needles. So these are all things that sound great on paper and, you know, I, I know there's, there's climate change and, 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 and seasons are changing all around the world and, and these growing periods that, you know, year to year, they can change. So you, your results are, are pretty much not, um, not, not guaranteed by picking, you know, 10th of December as your date for decandling doesn't mean if you do it 10th of December every year, you're going to get exactly the same result, but you should get fairly consistent results. You know, you should be able to pretty much, you know, bank on a certain range of things happening. I've talked about this in, in previous podcasts where all of my actions have to be predictable and they have to be repeatable. So I know that I can confidently go into decandling my black pines, if they meet these certain require, uh, requirements of, of health and and vitality, then I can guarantee, almost guarantee, I've got to be really careful what I say on this podcast, but I can almost guarantee myself that um, I will get a certain result with those trees because I know the background, I know the history, I know what, how they've been looked after, I know how they've been watered, I know where they've been kept. So I can I can bank on it year on year that I'm going to get a fairly consistent result. And that's that's really, really important. But it's, um, it, it's definitely one of those things that I go into every year with my black pines and say, I am decandling. I don't look at it and say, well, it's the third year and I was told that you need to give your trees a rest from decandling every third year, otherwise they will suffer. That's that, to me, that's not right. And the approach that I take is it's based on the health of the tree. So if the tree is strong enough to do it, then I will decandle every single year. And if, there's there's pines that I've done that for for 10, 15 years where I've been decandling and haven't stopped because I know that that I can keep the tree to a certain level with its with its strength. There are pines where I don't decandle and if I put one on the bench in front of me and I look at it and I've got doubt and I go, yeah, geez, doesn't look right. I don't roll the dice and say, you know, I'm going I'm to decandle it anyway because it's decandling time and I want I want shorter internodes and I want shorter needles and, you know, I want division, I want this, I want that. It's it's like, no, no, if, if I've got doubts on any part of, of a black pine when it's presented to me, then it's like, no, nah, I think I'll wait. I think I'll leave it. So anyway... That's um that's that's part of what I've been doing, which is what I like to talk about in the podcast, and uh, and share with you guys to, to like I said to keep it relevant and and time appropriate. So if you're not listening to this podcast in December of 2022, which is where where we're at now, then and which is which is our summer. Uh, start of our summer period in Melbourne victoria australia if you're not listening to it now then please don't go out and decandle your black pines wait until the appropriate time and uh, and 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 then listen to this podcast again when it's your time for decandling and uh, and I uh, hopefully it's uh, it's been able to help I spend my youth dropping coins in a wishing well I, I hope Right, so on to uh, more of my my trip to uh, Japan, which uh, was my first one, which is probably the most eye-opening and um, and educational of the lot. And what did I learn? I'm looking at this coming into day two. Um, what did I learn? I learned that um, I probably need to hit the reset button on a lot of things and uh, and go back to being to being someone who was willing to learn rather than present what I knew or what I could do. Um, I learned um, that uh, wiring is an absolute skill and it takes a lot of dedication and even though there's two ways to wire, you can and achieve the same result. One looks really crap and shouldn't be done and the other one looks great and is elegant and purposeful and is secondary to the bonsai, which is the most important part for me. The bonsai should present as itself and people then should be drawn into the tree. And my my um, my catalyst for that is is having friends over who don't know, know bonsai that well and they look at the tree and go, that's amazing. And when they start digging in nice and close to it, that's when they start to see that there's wire on there and they go, oh, wow, is that how you do that? Is that why you do this? And rather than looking at a tree from a distance and, and seeing that it's, you know, about 15 kilos of wire on it, you know, top to bottom, and it's just looks like it's an anchor for a boat. Um, and the other thing that I learned, lots of different things, I took, I, I, learned a lot about uh, branch angling coming from the trunk, which um, which I hadn't really thought about much before that, and, and why once, um, once it was explained to me why I then liked or was drawn to certain bonsai because of branch angles, you know, um, we had, a chat, we had a chat about it in the workshop and we talk about, you know, branch angling coming out of the trunk and certain species, you know, really uh, it's more more inclined to have, say, a harsher sort of uh, more angled bend straight from the, from the trunk than, than, say, other species which sort of are an up and down type scenario and, you know, not everything has to comply to a certain type of branch angle but from my point of view and uh, my perspective, uh, it was more that what I was drawn to, and it was like a like a light bulb moment where, when it was discussed, I went, "Oh right!" So then I went for a walk around the yard. I remember looking at you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bonsai, and I'd go, "Just pick one that you love." And I, would you know, not that it was hard, but I'd get to one and go, "I love this," you know, root over rock, tried at maple. Why do you love it? And I'd go back and I'd start with, let's look at the, the branch angle as it comes out of the trunk. Just just focus on that. Don't look at the ramification. Don't look at the, the beautiful roots flowing down a magnificent rock. Don't look at it and think, you know, that's 300 years old. Look at the branch angle. And that's when I went, right, that's what they were just talking about. And then I go to another one. Pick another one that you really love. All right, this one's a white pine. Look at the branch angle. That's the only thing I focused on was a branch angle. And I looked at it and I went, that's exactly what we're talking about like that one's got a really acute a sharp 45 degree or, or angle ish from the from the trunk then I would look at it and go wow that really just sets the tree to in my mind be be perfect from step 1 like you've got a obviously a beautiful trunk a beautiful nabari and so much going for the thing that it's hard to focus on one little part but but branch angle was was key and it was like oh my god I've never ever thought at that point about how important branch angle can be when it leaves the trunk. So then part of the learning over that um, that entire trip was was that, you know, how do you how do you achieve that? Like how do you get that with your wiring and you know if you've got a thick branch that's coming out and it's, you know, been growing upwards or it's on an angle with, you know, 90 degree angle coming straight out from the trunk, how do you how do you then get that to where you want? And what's the technique? And that's that's part of a big part of my learning over there was major branch bending in that first trip, and it was I was blown away of what you could do and, and achieve, and how you did it. The technique for you now using pieces of steel bar to bend a branch at a particular point and isolate it right back to that specific point, so you could achieve exactly what you wanted and not destroy the tree or kill the branch or rip it clear out was, was amazing. And, and how far you could go at certain points, and, and how you'd You'd let fibers stretch and then return to do it over time, and and using guy wires and all that sort of stuff. It was um, it was really amazing. I talked a lot about um about grafting uh, back then. That was a lot of my approach. Was you know, and, and to be honest with you, my first approach to grafting was how do I rush things? How can I use this technique of grafting of putting foliage where there's no foliage to rush. A design, you know, you've got a, a branch that's that's long, and rather than building strength and waiting for backbiting and then restarting branch structure, how do I rush it to put a graft in there to achieve what I want to achieve? And that's they're all. It's grafting's a great technique. I, I don't begrudge it at all. But for me now, um, grafting is is a, a technique that I'll use, but it's not something that is my my go to every time. I'll I'll certainly look at ways that I can naturally change structure on trees to achieve what I want and if that means you know sort of a three-year period well really with grafting it's a it's a very long process anyway it might seem like it's quick but to get the grafts to take and you know be successful it's it's a real skill and a real technique and it's it's sort of like rolling a dice you know you you're not always going to get the expected outcome but you 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 might strike it so you know part of the advice was if you want if you want grafting to work and you've got Three spots where you want it to work, then put in put in thirty grafts. You know, if you get five that take, well, you'll be successful. If you put in three grafts and none of them take, then you'll think the expedition has been a failure. Whereas, you know, putting in multiple and getting a very slim result to take is uh, is a better result than 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 achieving nothing. So, um yes, yeah, so, so I learned a lot about grafting. Also, got given a, a you know after after working out mistakes I'd made on my first tree that I worked on and. And learning from those and taking a step forward, I was I was given another big pine to to work on, and and one of the lessons that I learned was that some things you just can't rush. So I had this big big back pine to to clean, and it took me um, from according to my notes, it took me seven hours on this on this second day of cleaning, and and I'd made a big underline section that there's still more to do before I can start wiring. So, you know, I. I think if I worked on the same tree now it wouldn't be seven hours of work, but to learn things properly, you need to go slowly. You can't rush things. You know, you need to apply really good technique over a long period of time to to make great bonsai repeatedly. You know, you you, you cannot push something too fast. So that was part of part of what I learned. And um and also learnt that, you know, one one thing that's never talked about when you work on bonsai is your posture and um and i've i've made a big note that i had a really sore back and i I'd, I'd, I'd stuffed it because of um of sitting poorly or working at inappropriate heights and inappropriate angles and and that's one thing that i i definitely don't do now is you know i have uh, adjustable height work trolleys which you know a lot of people message me about they are just called hydraulic motorbike lifts and you can find them on a lot of uh, online stores that sell these things and they're adjustable in height they hold a hold a great deal of weight so they're perfect for the smallest to the largest trees and I've got wheels on mine so I can zip them all around the workshop and I've got a range of them for obviously students when they come through but from my point of view I can bring in multiple trees and have them sitting around the workshop for whatever reason I need them in there and 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 wheel them around and and work on them comfortably so I, I now definitely work with a straight back and you know, I sit down when I need to, and I stand up when I need to, and I can adjust the height of the tree, and and I have work platforms for when the trees are too large, so I can get up over and above the tree, and and I'm not putting myself in uncomfortable positions. That was a really really important thing that I learnt the uh, the hard way. Um, I uh, also had had notes that um, you know uh, the the food over there. You know, there was there was one where um, again not not speaking Japanese and 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 Japanese. English being sort of limited at the time, it was um, a bowl of ramen for dinner and uh, I've written with stuff in it. Uh, it was magnificent. I made a note that it was just beautiful but I had no idea of what the contents were and speaking to the other apprentices that were there, they were like, nah, don't know, just go with it. So I did and that was one thing that I'd, I'd sort of opened up a lot more to was just just go for it. As I talked about last time, you know, you travel, you experience different things and, you know, you're not imposing what you, what you do back home or what you have back home so I found that that was... Um, that was amazing. So um, then, uh, then we went on afterwards to talk about you know um, preventative stuff, you know, and that was that was a big thing for me was talking about preventative spraying of trees. And I know that that's not a popular thing with a, with with people, you know, using insecticides and fungicides. And I understand understand all that, but it was part of my learning over there was to try and prevent things from happening before they become a problem. And that was like another. Wow, okay, so don't be reactive, be preventative, and being preventative can take the shape of many things, not just using nasty chemicals it can it can stem from things like you know, your repotting frequency on your tree. It, it stems from your fertilising regime. It, it stems from when you prune, opening things up to make sure that you're getting sun and air, air in there to move on fungal spores that come and land on the trees. And it, it means it makes sure that you get it into a, a sunny spot so the tree's health continues to grow because it's getting enough sunlight because if it doesn't, there's consequences. So, So preventative... Preventative maintenance doesn't always take the form of going to a hardware store and buying a chemical and putting a sprayer on a backpack and going around and spraying things. Sure, that is that is part of the process for me, but it's not the entire part of the process. And and so I was starting to build this picture in my head very, very early in my trip from speaking to these these bonsai legends that, you know, it's it's not always about what the tree looks like. You've got to start stepping back from the tree and going, well, yeah, sure, it's, I want it to look magnificent. I want it to be a, a world-class art piece. That's that's all of our desire. We want it to be beautiful, you know, and I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves when we look at our trees and, and, and you know, want to wish that time away and get to the end point, but the journey's the most important part but but I started to build these blocks for myself with this trip to Japan saying that well okay maybe I just need to change my focus a little bit I need to one improve my technical skills secondly I need to reset on a lot of things that I've learned and maybe unlearn them and start again and thirdly I need to start focusing on things a lot of other things other than what the tree looks like what it looks like is 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 a is part of it, but it's, it's definitely not the entire picture. And, you know, I, I've I've made notes that, you know, there's so much more to bonsai than, than the tree. And it's so true. There's, there's everything that comes with it. And, you know, part of the, part of the journey to Japan was not only sitting there and learning bonsai, but it was to experience bonsai life. You know, that was, you know, it was, it was, it was, I think towards the end of this, this first trip where, a light went off in my head and thought, "Well, maybe I could start a bonsai business. Maybe I could pass on this information. Maybe I could become an education point in my community to uh, to help people get this this light bulb moment a lot earlier in their journey than what I found was available where I lived." So, um, so part of it was to to you know go and visit people and 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 travel with these bonsai professionals to other people's collections. And I remember that I went to. Um, this one customer and as you walked in there to look at a private collection it was like to me it was like walking into a museum or something that i'd seen on previous trips at uh, the bonsai village in omia that you know or stuff that i'd seen on mag on in, in magazines where you you looked at these trees and were like my goodness these are all your your private collection these aren't these aren't trees which are on display or anything. This is just someone's backyard in a collector, uh, an enthusiast in 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 Japan. And I, I thought, wow, if if it can be done there, it can be done anywhere. Which you know, at that time, I'm feeling naive and very small in the world of bonsai. Of course, it can. It can be done at any garden or any collection. It can be made to look a certain way. But walking in and looking at trees, I, I've made a note that there was a red pine, which I remember, and a, and a quince, which was. Incredible, and I was told that they're um, previous kokofu winning trees, and it was like wow. So that's when I suddenly th- got to learn that you know these professionals look after these trees with the collectors, with the idea of building these this beautiful bonsai, this piece of art, and um, and that was that was really eye opening for me at, at that time as well. And walking around these gardens, and I I went back to this garden later on because uh, as I, I'll talk about you know in future episodes of the podcast there was a time where we got to go to take trees from this collection to the show to to present and to display and you know picking pots that trees would get slip potted into just to be put on display for a few days at, at uh, Kakofu, was was just just an incredible thing that I'd never thought was possible, so so it was really uh, really good, and so the day would be broken up with jumping in the van, travelling around, going seeing things like this, having my mind completely blown, and and then jumping back in the car and heading back to the workshop, and and then getting to work on this pine that was in front of me, and I think it was, I don't know if it was an intentional thing from from where I was studying to to help build me as a bonsai person. But it certainly had an impact on me because I remember I would go back to the workshop and I would look at this this tree that was in front of me with renewed vigor and and potential. And I would also also scale it um, where you know I'd be presented with a tree and I'd go, Oh my God, that's the that this is the best bonsai that I've ever seen. And I, I am so privileged to work on it. And I I still remember thinking that way. But I would look at it and go, Okay, so. It's still got areas where it can develop. And that was another part of this trip was that no matter what's presented in front of you, you've still got to look for advancements. You never look to maintain the status quo. You always look to to add on to that tree in any shape. You know, whether it's you know branch positioning or it's whatever. There are the routine things that we do, but but there's also there's also got to be a plan for every single bonsai that I work on, not to say, well, you know, you're static, that's the way it's going to be. It's, it's not the case. It's always, all right, so how, how can I then take this tree to the next level? And that, that started at that point. And at that point, like I was, you know, I'm not saying after two days in Japan I had, had everything that I needed, but I certainly looked at things a different way and I could see not um, flaws isn't the right word, but I could see potential. For, for things to change in trees from then on, and and I remember walking around the, the yard later on in in the trip and and subsequent trips trips as well, and even to, to to bonsai shows from then on, and I would look at trees, and and even now when I look at look at images of of my trees online or I look at uh, other people's trees that I see on, on social media and I don't do it in a negative way, I don't do it to be derogatory but I always look at things and think how would I change that tree to potentially improve it and how would I and, and that's for all of us, it's, it's it's a valuable lesson I think that you know I can pass on to you now that we all see the trees differently which is the best part of bonsai. You know, what I see is, you know, in fair commas, Perfect. It's not how you see it. And I don't intend it to be my my view to of perfection to be your view of perfection. That's very personal, but it definitely means that when we look at trees, you know, you look at things and go, "Well, I love it. it. Still looks great." But you know, I would do this and I would do that. And I I get these messages from people where they'll look at the tree and I go, "Hey, have you thought about you know whatever?" And it's like, "That's so cool. Like I love it." No, I'm not going to change my my bonsai because. To me, I love where it's at, and I can see a path for it myself. But I, hundred and ten percent, fully appreciate and support that you've got a different approach to to how you see the tree, and I encourage it. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't look at things the same way as other people, and there should always be that potential for for improvement. So, Japan was was you know after a couple of days getting getting really, 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 really deep for me at at that point. So, um, you know, I'd I'd learnt that. You know, sometimes what I valued on trees can be devaluing overall. Like there was, I was shown, I was shown images of a tree that at that point was was deemed to be a super expensive tree, and it was valued at you know, three hundred thousand, which is still a, that's a ton of money. Like it's you know it's hard to fathom how an individual could afford that kind of money on a on a bonsai. But anyway, nevertheless. That was the way it was, and um, it, uh, it became devalued because there was dieback on the trunk and the, uh, there was a shari made. So a shari is the, uh, the deadwood, the trunk deadwood on a bonsai, and this tree then got revalued and it was knocked down to approximately 50,000. So, so whereas I looked at the tree with the shari on it, and I went, "Wow, that looks beautiful! Like it's so old, it's ancient, ancient. It's 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 adding character to the to the tree. It's 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 making it appealing." And looking at the before, I could see why. Yeah, geez, that is a magnificent tree. But I didn't think in my mind that the value of the tree should have changed significantly just because of this this shari, this dead wood or this dying part or dead part of the the tree. But nevertheless, it did. So it changed my perspective to think that, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and that's um, that's part of the reason why I love I love um, I love bonsai. I learned lots of different techniques and stuff too in Japan. You know, like things how to deal with sick trees and and what what was done uh what they do in the nursery and and how they managed it and and that came a lot to to starting to focus on the roots of the tree and and also you know leaving things alone when they when they're not well not pushing things and this is you know mind you this this sort of stuff these sort of discussions were happening on on day 2 of a, of a of a reasonably you know in in the time of in your lifetime a reasonably short period of time so it's you know, my, my trip to Japan was um, was definitely groundbreaking and and you can you know, I look back and, and think about think about how I look at uh, the way that I manage my trees and manage other people's trees and, and the advice that I provide. And, you know, when I come back to, to a lot of it, it's it's this really early trip to Japan that that changed a lot of the fundamentals and the focus that I that I have on the trees. So it was it was really important. I loved it, and um, I'm not going to I'm not going to bore you anymore with it. But um, you know, we <laughs> getting into the next night's dinner. I've, I've made a big note saying that you know, one day to the next year is so diverse. I learn so much. I see so much. My eyes are open to things that I'd never thought would be open to before. And the uh, the next night's dinner was was tacos, and I love tacos, but it was tacos with uh, sashimi, so raw fish, uh, uh, rice and lettuce, and and Seaweed, and I had never, at to that point, had a um, a raw fish taco in my life, and um, I found it I found it interesting. Like I was becoming a, uh, a more well rounded human being from this really short trip, where you know, as I said. I I threw myself into it and and went there to soak up everything I possibly could and uh and you know the the trip didn't disappoint because I was um I was I was picking up things left right and center and I was learning a lot and I was loving it and I still I still love it now I still think about my time there and hopefully you can hear the enthusiasm that I've got for for anyone that 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 wants to do something like this that wants to to get out and experience something that um, that you do it with uh, with an open mind and an open heart, and you um, you get so much more than what it, what the the financial cost of doing something like this. So anyway, that's uh, that's enough of the Japan learnings for, for now. We'll uh, we'll definitely come back to it. There's there's so much more, but I'm not gonna not gonna rattle on for, for too long with it. So um, we'll get into the uh, the next part of the podcast. Righto. So, fundamentals of design. This is um this is interesting. I really I really like um this part of the podcast and the way it makes me think about things before I uh, just start yapping on about them. And the um the the one from for today or well, the first one for today is um, is colour. I when I looked at colour, I went, oh, yeah 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 colour of foliage. Yeah, autumn, beautiful. No worries, that's easy. I can talk about that. But then I think. When you break down you know when I when I walked around through my collection and, and mind you we're just at the we're at the end of spring so everything's nice and lush and green and, and I look at it and think well why do why do I get drawn into the color of of the some of these trees you know what is it about the the red leaf plum or prunus that i've've that got that draws me into it and when you start thinking about color and very specifically how it relates to bonsai there's so many different facets to it you know there is foliage color yep sure foliage color throughout the whole year i love it spring give me a japanese maple when it's first popped its leaves and you've got them and they're 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 slightly yellow in color with the red tips on them and and then they suddenly transition to a really bright vibrant green and then they go you know through summer to get to their more olive color they get darker as they harden off and then the weather starts to turn cooler and they start to change color and head towards a beautiful red color before you know falling off at some point being you know near near towards a brown section i mean really if you want to talk about a, a gamut of colors that's that's not a bad start to be honest but then there's there's other species like um an olive and i looked at the olive and thought well how does color apply to an olive it's you know it it keeps its leaves. It doesn't drop them. It doesn't go through the, the autumn period. And why do I, why do I like the look of the color of this, of these, these olives that I've got? And so then I started breaking down going, well, it's the color of the trunk. You know, I've got this beautiful, almost gray looking trunk on a, on an olive with these beautiful, you know, dark olive colored leaves. Plus the new ones are a brighter color that are coming out the spring, spring ones, but then I broke it down further and I looked and went, well, okay, it's the pot that complements the trunk, which complements the foliage. So colour has a massive part to play in, in your, your, your appreciation or your enjoyment of bonsai. And it's different for all of us. I'm not, not assuming that we're all going to love things because they're, you know, the, the, a certain colour. And some people might go, well, I don't get it. I don't, I don't enjoy that. But, you know, I've got a, got a spruce that's on a, a slab of rock, natural rock, that's got some lichen on it. So when I sat back and walked to that tree and looked at it, I went, yeah, sure, foliage, looking beautiful. It's got the two tones of, of green. It's got the, the new foliage, got the older foliage. It's got some cones coming out, which are a beautiful, bright, vibrant, pinky, purple colour. They then turn brown. Yep, love it. Love it trunk's got some nice aging bark on it now so there's the lighter grays there's a the darker grays and and so the i found that the trunk is complementing you know the greens and the reds of the or the the burgundies of the of the of the cones and then i come down to the soil and there's there's moss you know moss moss and and you can get moss it's not just one color it's multiple colored as well so you've got the color pattern of that linking with the color of the trunk and onto this slab of, this old natural slab of stone, which has got the lichen on it, and it's, you know, hints of grey, it's got the the black, it's got, you know, the, the light green of the, the lichen, it's got some yellowy green bits of that as well. So when I sat back and I looked at that tree, not for structure, not for positioning, not for anything but colour, I went, it's really beautiful. Like there is so much to to appreciate with each of your bonsai when it comes down to to that. And, yeah, sure, I I chose that slab. I chose to keep the lichen in certain spots. You know, I chose to have the moss planted on top of the trunk. But I don't think until I was preparing for this podcast, I'd actually put it all together and just appreciated that bonsai for the colour that was involved in the display itself. And then you've got other things like your... um, uh, your your complementary plantings, you know your your other things that go with it. Whether it's an accent or or it's a you know it's a, it's a cast, it's a you know a little little um, figurine, something like that that plays such an important role. Or it's a scroll on display, or it's whatever it is a grass, you know that that all has a, a part to play. The stand color that you use to display your trees. It's not like Okay, you've got one strand, just rotate it through all of your trees. I know when I put together a trees to go on display at show, I spend a lot of time trying to complement the colours that I have presented within the tree itself with the stand. So the stand then either accentuates or draws you to a certain point part of the tree maybe it's you know a more bold color draws you to the pot first and from there you work your way up the trunk up the nabari up the trunk to to see it other times it might be a a nice natural slab of wood where you have something on there where straight away you're drawn drawn to the to the tree and then you work your way down the trunk and you get to the display itself and you get to see that beautiful natural piece of wood so it's something a bit more subtle but still draws the viewer in and that um that the the color the color scheme or the the uh, involvement of color in that design is is super important. And I jump around to to other trees like my, my black pines. You know, some of the things that I love about black pines are one needle quality. Yeah, sure, I love it. It's and it's got that green. It's got that reliability that when I think of. Of something majestic in the world of bonsai. For me personally, I love pines. I love them, and I'm just talking about black pines at the moment because we sort of started this podcast with with discussing the black pines. But you know that beautiful olivey green. You know the the needles change colour obviously through from from spring through to to winter and they go from that beautiful, bright, vibrant to the hardened-off, more olive colour. And, you know, if you look after the trees properly and you don't get spider mites, you don't get banding on the needles and you don't damage them when you're working on them, they just look beautiful when they're in a nice, tight cluster. I love it. And then you head back towards the trunk and you see the bark, and the ageing bark on a, on a black pine is, is magnificent when it starts getting plates. But even when it doesn't, you know, you're looking at younger trees that may have more of a grey colour, to their to their trunk, then the the complement of that, like with the olive before, the, the complement of that beautiful olive green of the needles against the trunk itself is is magnificent. And when I when I design my trees, my bonsai, I always have parts where you can look through. And the next next thing I'm going to talk about is is, uh, is space. Um, so I'm going to um, I'll come back to it a bit more. But I always have it where I can use areas of nothing for the viewer to be drawn in to look at a trunk and and that that view of the trunk it's where the colour of the trunk complements or contrasts the, the the foliage of the tree to create interest that looks lovely. And and I think that you know I've had nothing to do with the colour of the trees. It's it's not me, it's it's a higher being, it's the bonsai gods which make them look the way they look but I think that um I'm a great believer that you can definitely with your design and your structuring and and choices that you make, how you present foliage can be used to to strongly accentuate the or or present or display the the color of of the foliage against another color being the trunk of the tree. And pots pots are pots are enormous. Like I in my notes for the podcast I've written very important the pot and it's not just the shape of the pot. It's the color of the pot. It's the texture of the pot that that becomes part of it. You know, we've texture is an, is an an incredible thing. But taking that aside and just focusing on color for now, you know that's that's why I think that when you when you get further on in your your bonsai journey, you'll find that you'll have lots of pots sitting around without trees in it. That's it's highly unusual that you will just have the exact number of pots that you need for the exact number of bonsai that you have because. It just doesn't work that way, you know. You you start acquiring beautiful pots throughout throughout time that maybe one day will be used for a for a bonsai. And I know myself in my workshop, I have pots on display with nothing in them, just because I love the look of them. I can I can truly appreciate good uh, a, a good pot when I when I see it. And a lot of that is color, you know. I have um I have uh, yellow pots for some of my deciduous which I love. I I truly love yellows and reds in in pots because it makes a really bold strong statement. But it can be used, you know, you, you think about it, I've got a, a a small Chinese elm which I'm I'm spreading my fingers apart now in the podcast. I hope you can see it. Anyway, it's about, you know, 10 to 15 centimetres tall, they're about somewhere in that range. So it's quite a small little tree it started from a root cutting. It's in a uh, a really old Japanese Hattori um, pot that's yellow, so it's got nice patina on it. But you know, for me, when I look at that tree, I always start at the pot because, one, I appreciate that it's a magnificent little pot. It's got some real age to it, so I'm starting it. There's patina on it, but it's the yellow that draws me in. And from there, to paint a visual picture for you, you come up to the moss level of this pot, and it's just beautiful. It's lush. It's nice. It's. I always take great care with making sure that even though it's a quite a small pot that's only – you know maybe eight ten centimeters wide no, I wouldn't be it wouldn't be ten centimeters eight centimeters wide that there's different types of moss in there that one doesn't become too dominant for the other so I can see the different colors in there of the moss and then the trunk it's you know because it's a root cutting it's it's barked up quite nicely it's it's getting quite old and and then I get to the beautiful lush foliage at this time of the year where it's still got its spring growth happening and it um, and I just when I look at that picture together it makes me smile. I love it, and that's where that's where color can be really, really important to your to your to your personal satisfaction. You know, it's it's complementary items, whether they're you know they they flow along the same line, like a you know a, a, a bluey green pot for a deciduous tree that when it's lost its leaves, it still has that bluey green tinge to it that that draws you in, or whether it's something that contrasts it completely. You know, it doesn't always have to follow the same line, but color color of your your Bonsai, and you know, you notice I haven't mentioned once flowers on on bonsai because that is super important. But it's very obvious that we 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 acquire or we appreciate bonsai that have flowers because they're magnificent, they're beautiful. But those flowers come and go. So yeah, sure, I, I definitely have have some azaleas that I um, will have in certain colored pots, so that when they flower, the flower complements. The pot, or contrast it so it's like a, a beautiful visual image, but it's not always the the color of the pot that I focus in on when I when I look at things like that, or when I appreciate bonsai. You know, I, that flower. It's certainly that um, that that microsecond in their life when they pop those flowers that I can appreciate the color, and we can all be drawn into something something beautiful from there. So, going on to the next uh, fundamental of design, it's space. And this is um, this is something that that I I do um, strongly involve in my design process for bonsai, and it's not always you know negative space is one of those things. It's it's space where there's nothing, and I use that a lot to be to to draw people in or draw the viewer of a bonsai into an area so you might analyse a little bit deeper, and and that's where your view goes more often than not where there's no foliage, or there's there's a space, there's that negative space, that's where you are drawn in, and it's I, I think it's crucial to for me again this design is personal, so it's for me that I use negative space a certain way that I am I am guaranteed of of having an impact and i hope it's a positive impact using negative space that that people can look at and go that is that's beautiful look at that that's amazing and and when i talk to to family and friends that that look at a tree and i go why Why do you like that one what what is it about it is it you know just tell me i don't want to force a decision but they're sort of like i love this you know you can you can see into this part of the tree and it it's really inviting and it's like bang done tick good on me pat on the back break my arm pat myself on the back because that's exactly what I want to achieve. I want to draw someone in. And when I was talking about colour, I, I sort of have this approach to my trees where every now and then, you know, a fair way up the trunk, I'll um, I'll have a branch at the front that sort of slips across partly or fully across the trunk line and then above it have sort of nothing. So the viewer sort of looks, they see a nice trunk. There's a bit of a distraction with, with a pad there or some foliage and then it goes back to the trunk and it's it's that point that I, I, I think I get best bang for my buck with not only presenting colour variations or colour differentials but but also that use of space. You know, it's it's easy and it might not sound like it when you're when you're first starting Bonzo, but it's so easy to end up with a really dense, thick canopy of, of foliage, you know, where you it grows together as a clump. Like it just becomes a nice silhouette which is yeah great. It, Nice silhouette and a bonsai is great, but I think it's really important to break those silhouettes up so you have space between branches, space between pads, even even at the apex level, don't make it just a, a thick dome that looks like a, a pudding bowl. Break it up a little bit so there's it still achieves the same desired silhouette. The outside shape of whatever it is you're trying to achieve, but break it up internally so it's made up of many separate areas that are disconnected and have space in there. That's when space becomes massively important with our with our bonsai. And I, I think that you know um, it's one of those things that it, it, it's easy to talk about. It's hard to it's hard to achieve initially, but once you start opening it up and you make errors in design it's it's not forever this is not clay we're dealing with this is a living being so if you trim back foliage and sort of go oh it's probably a bit much now now there's a bit much of a gap there let it grow a little bit you know and 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 redesign or 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 reorganize but but definitely use space when you when you go out after listening to this podcast and you've got that that refreshing drink in your hand whether it's cup of tea glass of water beer or wine whatever it whatever whatever you rocks your boat, whatever floats your boat, then I would look at it and think about space as an element that possibly could be used on every single bonsai that you've got in your in your collection. And and don't think of it as I wanna graft a branch here because there's a space. Think about it and go, okay, Scott's talked about space, particularly negative space. How can I incorporate that space into my design? Is there a way that I could have this branch come down and around that part of the trunk and incorporate that negative space. If you've got a long branch with foliage just at the end of it, rather than looking at it going, I'm going to cut it off, there's nothing I can do with it, it's just a really long branch, just think, okay, is there a way that I could take that really long branch, have it so it's a hanging branch that drops down with the foliage pad so it's got movement in it, which is one of the things we've talked about with design, uh, the design fundamentals, if you've got the nice colour contrast, which we just talked about, of the of that branch coming down and the beautiful foliage contrasting it at the other end of the pad, and then you can incorporate space into the design as well, where between the trunk and where that branch comes down, you've got negative space that draws you in and therefore draws the viewer of the bonsai in. Is there a way that you can do that? Don't always think about, you know, it doesn't meet the rule of having foliage within, you know, a couple of centimetres of where it comes out from the trunk. Just think, okay... How can I use the fundamental of space to incorporate this design it, it may not be possible it, it, it may be something which is just you know completely off off charter for the design of that tree but if you can incorporate that sort of spacing into the into the design then definitely and then go one step further look at all of your pads can your pads be broken up further? Rather than having this is one of the things that I learned in Japan, which I'm going to talk about somewhere down the track. Which you know one of the one of the golden rules that uh, sorry scrap rules one of the golden guidelines or considerations that's a better word golden considerations you should have that was that was taught to me. It was one of these light bulb moments that I had a, a hundred million of them while I was over there. But one of them was that you know if you can turn one pad into three pads. Then do it. Don't keep it as one big, god awful pad. Break it into separate areas of interest at different planes, different heights, different angles, where you can draw viewers in to give the same impression of of shape to the to the to the design. But you're incorporating space between the different branches and different areas, and that that idea of separation. And and interest, you know, that's that's really what it's about. I think that, you know, you might have a tree that you've looked at the same way for, for years, years and years and years, and just go, well, nothing's happening with it. You know, you might be getting bored with it. Go back, break apart the foliage with your hands and have a look and say, okay, well, yeah, there's there's an opportunity here for me to take this branch, wire it over here, cut out some of the foliage, make a separate pad for it, Incorporate space between that and the next one visually, so then it breaks it apart into multiple areas of interest on the tree. And I think that you'll um, you'll find that you'll love uh, you'll love that as a, a design element that we can um, that we can use. Also, you know, space space between trees. That's on on benches. One horticulturally, it's nice to not have everything jammed together, but visually, if you can have space between. You know one tree to the next, you look at them differently, and that's where if you look at some of the great shows and there's been a been an amazing one in America recently um, which uh, if you just have a hunt around google you'll you'll find the details for it but there's an amazing show over there where they used a nice open area that had a lot of uh, a lot of space visually for trees, and also the distance between the trees was uh, was perfect where each tree stood on its own merit and the space between them actually magnified the effect. So, you know, a bonsai show with a thousand trees in it, where they're all jammed on benches, I think is probably worse than a bonsai show with ten trees in it, where they're they're all got their own space and their own positioning and they're all able to stand on their own two feet, for want of a better word, but they can they can they can present as themselves and use that space between them to, to really get Get that wow factor, that bang for your buck when you walk into these shows. And you know, if you have a hunt around now and you look through any bonsai show, you'll see where there are some where they just jam them in, and a lot of a lot of local clubs do that because they've got so many members and they've only got limited space. So I get why they do it, but but incorporating space into displaying your trees and separating things out, you know, th- there might be might be you know a three point display where you've got three elements to your to your display, having that spread out over you know a depending on the size of the tree, but, you know, let's say a a one-and-a-half-metre space is far better than trying to jam it together over... 880 centimeter space where it's you know you've got you know roughly half the size and you're trying to yep sure it's a three-point display but you're jamming everything in there it's almost no point doing it as a three-point display because the impact you're trying to get by using that space between items is just not going to be achieved so so there's a lot um, a lot to it and I think you can dig dig further but for me I primarily use space from the point of view of positioning. And drawing attention, and I think it's, uh, I think it's a fundamental uh, of a really important fundamental for um, for design with our bonsai. Well, there we are, folks. Thank you, uh, thank you for, for listening in. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it as uh, as always. And um, you know, this is our this is my eleventh podcast for the year. So after a bit of a uh, bit of a gap in the middle of the year for, for life-changing and going to be a bonsai professional, which I, that was a fist-in-the-air moment for me that I, I love and I, I don't regret one second of it. I'm actually um, – I don't think I've ever been this happy. So um, hopefully that comes across in the podcast to you guys as well as my enthusiasm seeping through um, through your headphones or through the radio that um, that I, I love this. I love the podcast. I love the opportunity it gives me to, to bring – um, hope and and potential to to everyone that does bonsai around the world which i think is you know it's really really important probably one of the most important things that i um that i do to be honest and i um i was recently a guest on a on a podcast ikigai um which i will um be sharing a link for later on because i think that um i think it's uh, it's it's nice to to sort of spread um spread the spread the good word and and Guy empowerment was the was the company and they um they got me on to talk about bonsai and really it's it's hard not to talk about bonsai you know in a positive vein and one of the one of the things that was talked about was you know what's what what mediums do I present across or how do I how do I give to the community and you know I use everything I use anything that's available you know facebook instagram uh, youtube the podcast um whatever whatever possibly you know direct messaging with people email any any way that I can that I can communicate with people, I will uh, I will do because it's horses for courses. Some people like one thing, some people like another. Another, so I try and spread myself around. And if something new pops up tomorrow, then um, you can bet that I'll I'll be on it as well because I think uh, positivity in our our world of bonsai is really important for all of us, and it's something that I hope. Um, I hope uh, I hope you can feel the love from me to you because it's you know you're loving your bonsai. It makes me makes me smile, and if I can play even the smallest part in in keeping you out there with your scissors and and making you you know maybe put on a different pair of glasses to look at your trees differently uh, from 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 time to time, then then that's great. And if they um, if they can go on and 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 live forever, well, job done. I've, uh, I've done well. So thank you for listening and I do appreciate it. I love the feedback. I love the um I love the engagement that you guys do with me and and I, I, I do honestly um say that I'm I'm here one hundred percent for you guys to to do whatever I can in the in the world of bonsai at any time. So um policing out via the socials is always the best. Um if you send me a message via uh, Instagram or or via Facebook then I'll I'll get you get you uh, some information as much as I can and, um, and how about So thank you. Um, we're heading towards, uh, the Christmas period, which is a time uh, for us in Australia to, to get some, some downtime. And it's, it's often a time that, um, you can reflect on, you know, put your feet up and, and, and reflect on your, your year with your bonsai as well as other things, of course, but I'm only focusing on bonsai. And, and I I do encourage you to do that and sit back and think about that, that planning phase that we all use, for our bonsai and not just the development of your trees but you know around your yard you know can you change your display can you can you put some some you know ground cover in growing so it looks a little bit different can you put in a watering system can you whatever it's just good time for bonsai coming up which makes me uh, which makes me really happy so thanks for tuning in and uh i will uh, i will stay in touch this podcast is going nowhere so um i'll uh, i'll be talking to you soon until then happy bonsai